everyone! Before we start, I wanted to let you know, if you would like to watch our whole service, head to our website, that's dc2.me, and from the media drop-down, click Sermons. You can watch our whole service there. And now, here's this week's sermon. Good morning. I want to introduce myself because, yes, that was me on the screen. So we can just jump right in. Uh, we are in a series called Illegitimate. In fact, there's only two weeks left in the series. This is the, the penultimate week before we close it out. Uh, and I am really excited because today, in specific, we get to see an example of why we titled the series this way. Uh, throughout the entire book of Matthew that we've been in, we have seen times where Jesus has come and said, hey, I am the Son of God. Uh, hey, I am the Messiah. And he's done things that's ruffled feathers. Um, he's done things that some people liked. He's done things that some people disliked. Uh, but today, we not only get to see Jesus ruffle some feathers again, uh, we actually get to see a group of people who are so angry at who he was and so upset with what he stood for that they wanted to make sure that everybody knew that he was fake. Uh, they, wanted to know that, they wanted everyone to know that he was illegitimate, even today. Uh, even today in Broomfield, Colorado, uh, we are stuck in this dichotomy, if you will, of who was Jesus? Was Jesus the son of God, the Messiah who came, defeated death, rose from the dead? Or um, was he a story? Or a liar? Was he just someone made up? Uh, and that debate's been going on for thousands of years. Uh, so I'm excited today to speak to that dichotomy uh, and take a look at this word, this name, illegitimate. Uh, and as we walk out of here today, our question is, was Jesus the legitimate son of God um, or just another guy? And to do that, we're going to start off by talking about conspiracy theories. Because who here doesn't love a good conspiracy theory? Now, we're not going to go into any deep political conspiracy theories because I don't want to receive those emails this week. But what's fun about conspiracy theories is we start with the what if. You know, what if this was true? And then it quickly becomes, oh, wait, that's starting to sound more and more true, and now I'm getting uncomfortable. And then I tend to try to stop at that point because I'm afraid of what would happen if I kept going. I think I could go deep down the rabbit hole. Uh, for example, who here has ever heard the conspiracy theory um, that we didn't land on the moon? Anyone ever heard that? I believe it was a Stanley Kubrick who made The Shining, who filmed it. That's what I believe happened. We didn't land on the moon. Uh, who here has heard that the Earth is flat? Anyone heard? I assume most of us. Anyone in here a pilot? I hear you're the reason for this conspiracy theory. I hear that you are in cahoots. Or has anyone ever heard about the lizard men living under DIA? If you hadn't, there's a picture. By the way, I worked at DIA for three years. I ran bags. Um, back in like 2003, 2005-ish, if your bags ever came early, that was because of me. If they became late, that was because of my coworkers. I apologize for them. Under DIA, there are miles and miles of tunnels. And as a lowly bag delivery guy, there were some tunnels I was not allowed to go into. There are tunnels with guards. There are tunnels that no one I knew had been down to, and that's why I don't look into conspiracy theories, because I've already begun to go down the rabbit hole. Lizard people might be real. All right. <laughs> conspiracy theories are fun, because at the end of the day, whichever side you land on, uh, your life honestly probably doesn't change that much. 
unless the lizard people take over. But aside from that, if you're on one side or the other, uh, our lives generally don't change. If you don't believe that the moon landing was real, and I do, generally we're going to wake up tomorrow and things won't have changed. Uh, If you believe the earth is flat and I don't, if we wake up tomorrow, generally our lives won't have changed. Today, however, we're going to jump into some of the final days recorded in the book of Matthew. And a conspiracy theory is going to be introduced that doesn't allow for ambivalence. It actually doesn't allow for you to believe what you want and me to believe what I want, and that's okay, because you have to end up on one side or the other. And depending on which side you end up on, actually, no, regardless of which side you end up on, there are consequences. So the conspiracy theory today requires a choice, um, and the choice of choosing nothing uh, is in itself a choice. Uh, So here in a minute, we're going to be here at the end of Matthew 27 into Matthew 28. Uh, But before we do, I want to introduce a big word to you. Uh, The way that most preachers generally approach Jesus Christ um, is we talk about his humanity. Uh, We talk about the incarnation. We talk about the Jesus that moved into the neighborhood. Uh, We talk about the power of the gospel in that Jesus wept and he laughed and he fought and he ate and he drank and he was angry and he was tired and he took time for himself and he took time for space and he took time with friends and he had friends he was closer to and friends that he wasn't. And for us, all of that coupled together points to a God who is absolutely approachable and it's one of the core pieces of Christianity, not just that we have a God who loves us and a God who saves us, but a God who you can go to today and is incredibly important. Today, however, Uh, we're going to focus mostly on the other aspect of who Jesus is. Um, Jesus as God. Jesus as deity, as supreme power, as the one who paves the way for forgiveness of sins. Um, I want to talk about the God who saves, not just because he was humble and perfect and stood in the gap, but because he was powerful enough to do it. And that power literally broke the chains of death, which is so exciting. And there's a a big theological term that I'll teach you. Some of you probably know this, and it is hypostatic union. Has anyone ever heard the term hypostatic union? Now you have a word to walk out with that you'll never use again. Um, This means, actually, I'm worried that by giving you a big lofty term, some of us are going to feel proud, and I hear that pride is a sin. So rather than me give you the definition, I actually pulled the definition from Wikipedia because I think that's going to even things out and kind of lower it a little. Hypostatic union from Wikipedia. Hypostatic union is a technical term in Christian theology employed in mainstream Christology to describe the union of Christ's humanity and divinity in one hypostasis, or individual existence. The most basic explanation for the hypostatic union is Jesus Christ is both fully God and fully man, And so in the past, where we've often talked about Jesus being fully man and fully approachable, today I want you to look at Jesus, who is fully God, as we walk into this today. So with deity and conspiracy in mind, let's jump into the passage. Today we're going to be in Matthew 27, 62 through 66. Um, And here's what you have to know as we step in. Um, Jesus has just had this three-year ministry. We've been teaching on it all year. He's performed miracles. He's done great things. Um, By this point, he's now been arrested, he's been tried, he's been crucified, and he's been pulled down from the cross. 
Jesus p- built up this amazing thing and all of these people were following him and now they're in disarray. Um, Jesus' followers are, are banding together, but they're banding together in, in secret. They're hiding because everything that they've been following for the last few years is now gone. And, and what's next? And as we read these passages today, will you make sure to look at the characters because the characters that Matthew describes and tells us about are just as important as the stories they're telling. Matthew 27, 62 through 66. The next day, the one after preparation day, the chief priests and the Pharisees went to Pilate. Sir, they said, we remember that while he was still alive, the deceiver said, after three days, I will rise again. So, give the order for the tomb to be made secure until the third day. Otherwise, his disciples may come and steal the body and tell the people he has been raised from the dead. This last deception will be worse than the first. Take a guard, Pilate answered. Go make the tomb as secure as you know how. So they went and made the tomb secure by putting a seal on the stone and posting the guard. Conspiracy theory. Uh, The story of Jesus. What had Jesus pushed for? Uh, What had he tried for that had put these groups so firmly against him? Because right here we have the religious leaders who want to make sure that everything Jesus stood for, uh, it doesn't come to fruition. And then we have the rulers of Rome um, who so badly want to make sure it doesn't come to fruition uh, because what he said was so detrimental to them in power. Jesus pitched this countercultural concept The meek shall inherit the earth. Uh, Turn the other cheek. Uh, If someone tells you to walk a mile, tell them you'll walk two. Uh, The first shall be last and the last shall be first. Uh, Power isn't quite what you think it is. Uh, Give to God what's God. Give to Caesar what's Caesar's. Uh, You may have power today, but I represent a heavenly kingdom that is so much bigger I could see that being a threat to Roman rule. And then to the Jewish leaders, uh, we have him coming and, and, and healing people. We have him coming and, and feeding his disciples on the Sabbath, healing on the Sabbath, and when he's called out because that's just not okay, he says, you would heal your livestock. Will you not heal this man? Uh, he takes a look at the Pharisees. He takes a look at the religious leaders And he says, hey, you have spent your entire life studying for a test and you know all the answers and I'm showing up, I am the final test and you're you're failing. In fact, you're not even showing up for the test. I can imagine this younger generation of Jewish people who all look at this guy Jesus and they say, hey, our, our parents told us about God and they painted this lofty picture and it's beautiful, but when I look at my parents, They're just stuck in all of these rules and regulations and it just looks exhausting. But Jesus, he embodies that part of God that I love, but it feels easier. I can imagine that being tough for religious leaders. Uh, And then we have this this constant fighting, this this battling going on. Zach talked a little bit last week about the zealots, uh, those who would sharpen their knives looking for the overthrowing of Rome and Rome with its giant armies and Jesus coming and saying, let's just sit. Let's just wait. Let's just listen. Uh, So Jesus, in this generally non-violent way, he he posed this huge issue for those in power because he 
approach power very differently. So they get together and they say, hey, conspiracy theory, how do we stop this? Uh, And it's very simple. You see, Jesus seemingly made a mistake. Uh, Jesus put it all on him. Jesus made claims like, hey, uh, if you destroy this temple, it'll be back in three days. Or I am the way, the truth, and the life, and nobody gets to the Father except through me. He paints himself up as this central figure, which means if the central figure is gone, if the central figure is wrong, if the central figure is not what they said it was, the whole thing collapses. Compare this to other religions where people came as prophets, uh, where they came as priests, where they came as spokespeople for God, where they came and told the word of God. Jesus said, that's great, but I, I am God. He made promises. And so they came together and said, hey, we just have to close the tomb for three days. Because in three days, if the body's still there, uh, this religion is gone and all of our headaches are gone. So let's make sure that nobody does differently. Continuing on, Matthew 28, 1 through 10, and I'll encourage you again, pay attention to the characters of the story, not just the story being told. Matthew 28, 1 through 10. After the Sabbath, at dawn on the first day of the week, Mary Magdalene and the other Mary went to look at the tomb. There was a violent earthquake, for an angel of the Lord came down from heaven and, going to the tomb, rolled back the stone and sat on it. His appearance was like lightning and his clothes were white as snow. The guards were so afraid of him that they shook and became like dead men. The angel said to the women, do not be afraid for I know you are looking for Jesus who was crucified. He is not here. He has risen just as he said. Come and see the place where he lay. Then go quickly and tell his disciples, he has risen from the dead and is going ahead of you into Galilee. There you will see him. Now I have told you. So the women hurried away from the tomb, afraid yet filled with joy, and ran to tell his disciples. Suddenly Jesus met them. Greetings, he said. They came to him, clasped his feet, and worshipped him. Then Jesus said to them, Do not be afraid. Go and tell my brothers to go to Galilee. There they will see me. There's so much to unpack there that I'm sure to miss some of it. Who came to the tomb? Who do we see? Uh, Let's acknowledge the subversiveness in what Matthew is recording here. Um, As we see who the first people to encounter this angel, the first people to encounter Jesus are, um, and they're women. Zach spoke last week. I, I highly recommend you go back and listen to last week's sermon. In fact, I think that last week's message, this week's message, and next week's message are really all part of the same message They're all telling, in my opinion, the same ending of the story. Uh, Zach talked about the general powerlessness of women in this culture. Uh, He talked about the the power of the men. But when you look in this passage and when Matthew is recording, Matthew does not point to any other men here aside from those guards. Uh, There's no disciples coming to the tomb. Matthew himself is not coming to the tomb. And in fact, when we look at the book of John, When John talks about he and Peter, two of Jesus' closest disciples, they are not at the tomb. No, Matthew points to the women. Have you ever heard the phrase that history is made by the victors? Uh, Why did Matthew, who is experiencing victory here, 
who is a Jewish male in a patriarchal society, keep referencing women? And what did he want us to see? Because Jesus' subversiveness that he has had all through his whole ministry where he came and said, here's what you think power, here's what you think rule is, it's not, it continues even after his resurrection. Because I see the first two people the angel spoke to, the first two people that Jesus spoke to when he returned, uh, and the two people that began the spark of revolution that became Christianity after Jesus' death were these two women They weren't 11 disciples sitting in a room. I said I was going to focus on the deity of Christ, but we can also look at the God who shows up. Because at this point, if you are one of these two women and an angel comes to you and says, hey, Jesus is back, go tell people you're going to go. This angel is here in full glory, full power. There's no doubt that these two women are going to go do what he asks. Um, And then Jesus shows up. And he sits with them. And he says, just a reminder, I'm here. Now go. All right, we have to pause here. The story's going to keep going. We have a few more verses, but I want to give some side content that's going to be incredibly important as we continue to talk about conspiracy theories. What happens next? Well, these two women are going to go and tell the disciples. John and Peter, again, two of Jesus' closest, are going to come running. And we know that it was a foot race. And we know that John won that foot race because he wrote about it in John 20. John wrote that he won a foot race against Peter. I can just tell you, I don't want to go into author bias in Scripture, but if I was writing a book and writing about a foot race between myself and our pastor Zach, I would win that foot race. I can tell you before I've even done it. I'm also faster than him, so I know it would happen anyway, but John tells us he outran Peter. They go, the women go and tell the disciples who end up meeting with Jesus, but that is a story for another week. In fact, next week, as we hear how Jesus sends off or commissions his people, if you will. Christianity from this point explodes outward. Um, let's use our friend Wikipedia, since we've already started down that path today, and go all in. At Pentecost, which is going to come in just a couple chapters in the book of Acts, uh, there was about 120 followers, and it blows up to more than 3,000 that day. Uh, There are more than 40 churches built in the next 60 years. There's huge growth as people, both Jewish and Gentile, begin following the way of Jesus. And those 12 disciples, those, those people who followed Jesus, those men who had walked with Jesus day in and day out, some who were so close, had seen behind the curtain, if you will. Uh, They had seen the inner workings. They had seen Jesus at his best and his worst. Uh, We know what happens to them. We know that traditionally, um, most of them died. Uh, I mean, by, by timeline, we know that all of them died. This was a long time ago. But we know that they died in terrible ways. Uh, We know that they died by crucifixion. Uh, We know that they died by being thrown off of buildings. We know that they died by being killed while being out and preaching the gospel. We know that they died while telling people about Jesus. We know that after this moment, as this explosion of religion happens across this entire area, we know the disciples continued to preach until the day of their deaths, no matter what happened. And I have to wonder a little bit specifically about Matthew. I'm going to make a hard judgment call on Matthew. Um, Matthew was the tax collector. 
Matthew worked for the enemy. Matthew uh, took taxes from Jewish people. And Matthew had this encounter with Jesus back in Matthew 8 and Matthew 9, where Jesus says, follow me and let's throw a party for your friends. And he sends him off on his first mission trip, like the day after a party. And Matthew experiences this, and Matthew chooses to then go his whole life past this, past Jesus' death, and ends up dying while still preaching the gospel. Uh, next week, actually, in, in the Catholic tradition, is, is St. Matthew's Day, where they talk about him. And uh, we believe he died in Ethiopia. We don't know the cause. Uh, we don't know exactly what happened. We know that he was sharing the gospel. We know that he was telling people about Jesus and was killed. And I have to ask you, as we talk about conspiracy theories, if you were following somebody who said that they were God, and you had seen them do great things, and then they died, and they claimed resurrection, they claimed that they'd be back, and they didn't, would you die for that? Because Matthew died for it. These disciples died for it. Uh, These disciples didn't turn away. Why did they die? We'll continue on Matthew 28, 11 through 15. While the women were on their way, some of the guards went into the city and reported to the chief priests everything that had happened. When the chief priests had met with the elders and devised a plan, they gave the soldiers a large sum of money, telling them, you were to say... His disciples came during the night and stole him while we were asleep. If this report goes to the governor, we will satisfy him and keep you out of trouble. So the soldiers took the money and did as they were instructed. And this story, this last line is important. And this story has been widely circulated among the Jews to this very day. We know that Matthew wrote his book somewhere between, it was written somewhere between 70 and 110 A.D., Uh, We know that Matthew didn't write this immediately after Jesus' death. Uh, So it means that a line like that, we know that some of this stuck. Uh, We know that in this area, there were many that continued to believe that this was fraudulent. Uh, The disciples came and propped up this huge religion. Uh, We know that many Jews continued to believe this regardless of what what was said. And we know living in Broomfield, Colorado, 2,000 years ago, uh, that people are split on this. Uh, There are some in this room who believe that Jesus died and rose again. Uh, And there are some that believe he didn't. Uh, There are some outside these walls that believe that Jesus died and rose again. There are some that believed he didn't. um, And that started here. Let's go back to the conspiracy theories. Lizard men, flat earth, no moon landing. If you and I are of different beliefs, that doesn't matter much unless the lizard people come. But you see, Jesus didn't actually allow for that distinction. In fact, of any religion in the world, Jesus went all in with his chips in a way that forces us to either choose to believe that he rose from the dead and dismi- or dismiss him without a middle ground. C.S. Lewis ha- had a great idea for this, a great concept he shared one time. And it's a, his idea of Lord lunatic, or liar, and was eventually added legend. Now, this wasn't originally C.S. Lewis's idea. This had been around. But conceptually, it goes like this. Maybe Jesus was Lord. And if he was Lord, if he was the Savior, if he was the Messiah, if he died and rose again, um, then you have to go all in. 
You have to believe in him, you have to follow, but if he's a lunatic, why would you? Uh, See, a lunatic would be somebody who maybe grew up Jewish and knew enough of the stories, knew enough of the things to say that they could get it close. Uh, They could get it close enough that people would be confused. If he's a lunatic, you should not follow him. And if he's a liar, if, if he's an evil person, Lewis said, Uh, If he's a person who chose to take this to to build up his own power, uh, to pretend that he was the son of God, if he was the type of person to build himself up so that people would follow him just for his own power and he got caught, then you should not follow him. Um, And if he was a legend, if he's just stories, if he's like Paul Bunyan and Johnny Appleseed, why follow that? Why did those men die? Why, why did those men keep following? Uh, why did the religion grow? Why, why did it blow up? Why did it grow to hundreds of years later, like 10% of Rome following Jesus? Why this mark on history? Hey, if you're here today and you are a skeptic, uh, you are somebody who doesn't know that you can believe in this. It seems a little far-fetched. And listen, I, I like that Jesus tells us to be nice to people. That, that sounds great. But some of these miracles, this raising from the dead, I, I don't know what to do with it. Um, can you ask yourself why these people continued the story? Uh, why they chose death? Uh, did they just choose to go all in on a conspiracy theory or was there something more? Um, And I ask that line of question um, because as a 17-year-old skeptic, that was the first question presented to me um, and the first one that started unraveling a lot in my head. Uh, The first one that got me thinking. The second person in here, though, uh, the believer. If you are in here with someone who believes that Jesus died and rose from the dead, um, the question is, so what? Uh, What do you do with that? Because that in itself is a free gift to you. Uh, Jesus died so that you could have a relationship with God, so he could pave the way for God, and that is a free gift to you, but there's more. I'm going to invite the band back up. Um, In a sermon, it's important to have a conclusion, a call to action, a next step, a here's what you do with it but I actually think I'd be remiss if I gave you a full conclusion today Uh, because Matthew 28 doesn't end here uh, and I think Zach is going to have a lot more for us next week. So I can give you the first half of a conclusion and it's best summed up in a story. The reason the the resurrection matters is so important and what was so important to Matthew is he recorded it. It's a story of pioneers. Uh, there was a, a group of pioneers who were making their way across one of the central states to a distant place that had been open for homesteading. They traveled in covered wagons drawn by oxen, and progress was necessarily slow. One day, they were horrified to note a long line of smoke in the west, stretching for miles across the prairie, and soon it was evident that the dry grass was burning fiercely and coming toward them rapidly. They had crossed a river the day before, but it would be impossible to go back to that before the flames would be upon them. One man only seemed to have an understanding as to what could be done. He gave the command to set fire to the grass behind them. Then, when a space was burned over, the whole company moved back upon it. As the flames roared on toward them from the west, a little girl cried out in terror, 
Are you sure we will not be burned up? The leader replied, my child, the flames can't reach us here for we're standing where the fire has been. The gift of the resurrection and God's method of sending his son to live, die, and come back from the dead as a perfect sacrifice is encapsulated in that story uh, because we were standing watching death come and hoping for a way out. The Bible tells us that because of Jesus' sacrifice and resurrection, we are no longer standing where the fire had been. Uh, and the fire can no longer touch us. We are gifted with eternity and freedom in life today, but there's so much more. There's what Jesus offers us and what he calls us to, because if you're here today, and if you are a Christian, and you are secure in the idea that Jesus died for you, and you are secure in the idea that Jesus rose from the dead, and you are secure in the idea that God created eternity for you, that's great, but there's more to it. And not more to it for salvation, not more to it for heaven. Jesus guaranteed that. Uh, there's more to it because Jesus has marching orders for you. He has next steps. He has things you have to do. And not to force you to come back to church next week, but I think Zach is going to either answer all that or be set up really poorly to where he's going to have to figure that out. Um, God gives us marching orders as believers. Uh, and if you're here today and you don't believe that, and you're skeptical, and you have that analytical brain and, 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 and miracles and Jesus don't make sense. Um, can you take a look at Matthew? The guy who wrote about the powerless, uplifted the women in the story, and then chose to die rather than renounce. If you believe that Jesus is Lord and accept that with your heart and choose to follow it, then Jesus has a mission for you and it's the hope of the gospel, and I can't wait for you to hear about it next week. Uh, I'll be up front after service. Let's pray. Uh, hey, God, it's Jake. God, it feels funny um, to be talking about the resurrection in November. Wow. Well, we talk about this in April. And God, I love that we talk about the resurrection in November. Because here in a month, we're going to talk about the incarnation, the birth of Jesus, the birth of your son. <laughs> There's a symmetry to it. God, I thank you for those in this room who know that they are saved by grace and that there is nothing that they can do but you came for them. God, thank you for that sacrifice. And God, I pray for those in this room or those joining us online who uh, they're just not sure. They're not sure what to do with it. Uh, they're not sure which side of the conspiracy is here to land on. Did, did Jesus raise from the dead or it is it a legend? God, thanks that they're joining us too. God, I pray that you would continue to work in the hearts of both groups and continue to remind us that there is a next step past where we are right now. Amen.